right. Uh, welcome to an episode, another episode of Under the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Ulrich, uh, with my partner here, Mr. Sean Williams. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Doing fantastic, Alan. How about yourself, man? Uh, I can always do better if we win. Um, yeah, when we're coming off of a loss, it makes for a bad Monday. Yeah, and not much better a Tuesday, except for the fact that we get to hang out with the Doodle Nation and uh, get to do our thing here. Uh, we Absolutely. We want First Productions for bringing our, uh, our ideas to life. And let you guys know that you can follow us on Facebook on Under the Dome Podcast page. Also on Twitter at under the dome po one and uh also i want to give a shout out real quick to some guys that had me on as guest earlier this morning uh espn 97.7 all you people in northeast louisiana you need to uh check these guys out and anywhere else in the country you can follow uh this station at ESPN977.com. These guys uh, gave me a chance when I wasn't uh, wasn't very good. <laughs> of course, you get odds on how how much that's changed now. But uh, I'm not going to say anything. But I'll leave that up to them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. But uh, I was on this morning with uh, on the razor on the edge with Terry Waldrop, a very good friend of mine a national championship winning uh, college basketball coach. He has me on every once in a while. Great guy. And the program director there, uh, Sean Fox, great friend, and uh, probably one of the guys that inspired me to do this whole Saints thing. Uh, and in his honor, as we speak, I'm sitting here on the, with the big screen over here with the his Chicago Cubs playing. And at last count, they were down two to zero. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I want to introduce uh, our guest tonight, representing uh, the 12th man, I guess you could say. Uh, we have from ProFootballSpot.com, uh, Seattle Seahawks journalist Zachary Vetch. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, he did. All right. Uh, Zach has been covering, like I said, uh, covering the Seahawks for ProFootballSpot.com and a lifelong Seahawks fan. Uh, he's a staff writer there now. Uh, and probably most important after the Seahawks and the NFL thing, he's an American veteran that deserves our respect. And I want to thank you publicly as I did privately already. Uh, Thank you, sir, for your service. I appreciate it, Sean. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we won't even mention the fact that the uh, Texas A&M Aggies were the first ones to do the 12th man. We don't need to mention that here. <laughs> I, I've got a good friend of mine who's an, who's an Aggie, so I have to tell her, make mention of for her. So, <laughs> College and pro. Yeah. College and pro. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, but there's only one Death Valley. That's true. <laughs> and yeah, it ain't it Clemson. I was going to say, isn't it in Clemson? All right. Um, okay. Well, we have the Seahawks this week, and the uh, Saints fans have a uh, now a six-year grudge against the Seahawks. They've beaten us three times, uh, twice <laughs> in the playoffs. Um, they've been looking for revenge since the uh, 2010 regular season, I think was the last time we beat you guys. Um. This past Sunday, in a game that set football back about 80 years, we had a 6-6 tie <laughs> in the Arizona desert. Uh, what do you think? Well, first off, what's going on in Seahawks Nation? How do they feel about this 6-6 tie? Um, and do they feel like that changes need to be made on offense? Uh, for the most part, I think any majority – of the 12s you're going to talk to, they're going to say that we do need to change, and it's going to start with Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator. They, we have a lot of weapons on offense, and anybody that watched that game against Arizona knows that that was not the Seattle offense that people are accustomed to seeing. And uh, Sean had pointed out to me that night um, that it did look like we were missing Marshawn Lynch, and I agree, we did miss Marshawn Lynch in the, the physical running game, but at the same time, he's not there anymore. We got weapons. 
we could throw to, Doug Baldwin, Jermaine Curse, and your guys' favorite Jimmy Graham, we have some mismatch opportunities, and we didn't take any advantages of it. So the offense was really, really poorly ran, and there was no blocking for Russell Wilson. Let me ask you this, uh, Zachary. Um, is the the injuries, I, I believe, at, at last count is two now for Russell Wilson. Is he hurting even worse than what uh, the outside world has been led to believe? Is he hurt worse than – uh, what it appears is is that part of the problem with you with your offense? I think part of it has to do with I think he might be a little more injured than people think, and that's the thing here too. Though we don't know either. Russell Wilson's always going to say he's fine, he's okay, and he can always go. But yeah. I've been watching Russell Wilson as a Hawks fan since he got here, since training camp and OTAs and all that. Russell's not moving like Russell moves when, when he's healthy. And when he's healthy, he can hide the blemishes in that offensive line and make plays down the field with his feet, either throwing sure. on the run or, or taking off on the run too. And he doesn't have that burst right now. So that Absolutely. is a big problem. I have to believe he is more injured than he leads on. I, I, I got that sense. Uh, and, you know, I as you and I texted back and forth during that game Sunday night, I, I think if I remember correctly – the first thing that I said to you is there your offense has been out of sync this entire night. What is it going to take? Be that substitutions, uh, replacements, whatever. What's it going to take for you guys to, to be able to function with Russell at quarterback as is? Um, That's a tough question to answer, Sean, because I think the problem lies within the offensive line and that's not something you could just fix right now. Uh, a lot You're of young guys, the choir, brother. <laughs> a lot of uh, young guys and experienced guys and guys moving from one position to another. We got uh, uh, Justin Britt playing center this year, and he's no Max Unger, as you guys know. And, and uh, it's it's difficult to have a quarterback that uh, can't move like he's accustomed to doing. And you have an offensive line that can't block for him. So I saw your uh, tackle get carted, carted off uh, Sunday night. Um, what's the latest? Bradley Sal. Yeah, is he is he severely injured? It looked like it was pretty bad. I mean, he had a towel over his head, which generally means ACL out for the year or right. something worse. Right, and uh, Pete Carroll has his his show every uh, every Monday morning on seven ten ESPN Seattle, and I always tune in to hear what Pete has to say. Um, and he's a lot like Russell; he never really tells you what is actually going on. He just kind of beats around the bush to try to satisfy oh, you a little bit. We so. don't know what that's like over here. Not at all. <laughs> the Kremlin um, I would have their to... secrets and the, uh, then, then, um, then Sean Payton. He does not say anything as far as injuries. He tells you whatever he has to by the league rules, and that is it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we thought lucky. Cam Chancellor was going to play this weekend, and Cam Chancellor didn't play this weekend either. And we were expecting all week long because Pete Carroll kept saying he should be ready and it's not that bad. Well, he didn't play, so <laughs> – I would have there's to assume Sal is going to be out. There's a lot of that that's gamesmanship, although I don't understand it. I mean, when it comes time for kickoff, you're going to play 11 guys. We're going to play 11 guys. Line them up. Let's do this. Well, who, who can play? We'll play. Who can't? You know, it's still going to be who gets out on the field and does their jobs. Right. Well, I have to assume that uh, that uh, Sal's going to be out, and you're going to be looking at George Fant, who's going to be playing our uh, left tackle position. And this guy, I believe he's from Western Kentucky, rookie, and he played college basketball. He didn't play football. So there's a lot of inexperience there that I think New Orleans is going to be able to take advantage of off the off the edge. Well, you know, the, the, the difficult thing right now is that is our weakness. Uh, we have We have trouble getting guys to get off the edge and uh, beat single blocking and run down plays from the edge. That's how Kansas city pretty much beat us this Sunday. Uh, a lot of bounce plays to the outside and the strength really is in the middle. We just don't have enough guys that can run sideline to sideline. Um, you know, yeah. You mentioned Marshawn Lynch and the running game. Who, uh, who's your main back right now? I, mean, I know y'all picked up CJ Spiller, but I don't think he even played Sunday. Did he? Uh, not very much, if at all. I don't think he carried any, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't get any receptions out of the backfield either. So, I didn't uh, see. Right I don't. Now. I didn't recall seeing him in the lineup at all that night. I don't. I don't really either. No. 
So who's your primary back then? It's going to be Kristen Michael again. Um, and I think you guys know about him a little bit. Seattle let him go. He went to Dallas. Dallas let him go. Washington let him go. And he showed back mm-hmm. up in Seattle this offseason. We didn't think he was going to have a shot to make it. But right now with Thomas Rawls out again, uh, he's about all we have right now. Well, see, that's a lot of the same thing that we're facing in the defensive backfield. Uh, by the – I want to say uh, – Alan may can correct me on this. By the Atlanta game, we were – down to the sixth and seventh cornerbacks on our depth chart. Oh, absolutely. Uh, last week we lost uh, one of the guys we brought in to fill in a hole for somebody we lost already. We uh, uh, Sterling Moore got knocked out. He couldn't play, and he was the uh, sixth cornerback that, that's joined the team. So, yeah, we're down to, you know, street guys, undrafted free agents, uh, Ken Crawley, I think he's the only player that's played every snap uh, so far this season. And, I believe you're right. And he's an undrafted free agent that shouldn't have even made the team uh, if we were fully healthy. So, yeah, we, our secondary is in rough, rough shape. And um, you don't have a pass rush, so that makes that secondary even more susceptible to plays. So, you know, if Russell can get some time, he can make some plays against us. Um the question for us is, can we stop Seattle's run and make Russell throw the ball? And with – you've got an old friend of ours that uh, I mentioned off the air, uh, Carl Smith, the uh, y'all's quarterback coach, was the offensive coordinator for the Saints under Jim Moore from 86 to 96. And he was somebody – we were talking about off conservative offenses. He was somebody that, you know – Barry Goldwater, William F. Buckley, and Ronald Reagan would say, dude, you're a little too conservative for me. Um, The master of the third and seven play run a five-yard slant. Um, You know, and I think his dark influence is making y'all's offense even more conservative. Uh, Just for this game, they should should promote him to O.C., Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't like that, Sean. I think we should keep that one out of the books. You know, I'm looking. I was looking at Charles' coaching staff while you all were talking. Actually, you've got a couple of. Uh, you've got Tom Cable, ex uh, Raiders head coach, Dwayne Board. Uh, he was a pass rush guy for the 49ers, and he finished his career with the Saints. And you've got a back that some Saints fans may or may not remember. Um, Chad Morton is your assistant special teams, assistant running backs coach. Uh, Chad Morton was drafted by the Saints in 2000 and actually played in the uh, the playoff game 2000. He was a good little uh, kind of a third down back, good little speed back, and a kick returner for the Saints for a little while. So, you know, it's interesting, a lot of Saints connections on that coaching staff and on this team. Right. There's a lot of, of – uh... There's always been a lot of connection there um, with the with the Seahawks. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as long as they don't they don't try to uh, swing the game either way. I think <laughs> well, it's just you know some of that useless trivia I keep locked up in here. Um, <laughs> well, just for the record, y'all can keep Graham because Unger ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I, yeah, I think we're going to end up having to keep uh, Jimmy anyway because uh, well, uh, Luke Wilson's out. With well, knee injury, so how do you guys feel about Jimmy Graham being on your team? Oh. That was that was what the question that I was about to ask. Yeah, what is the you, feel? You know, I know you'll miss Unger, but I mean, how do y'all feel right. about Graham? Do y'all feel like he's underutilized, or if um, well, it's it's know. kind of been back and forth. When Jimmy first got here, there was a lot of complaints uh, with the twelves about how Jimmy was being used, mm-hmm. um, and they started to use him a little more, but we just never felt like. Uh, we were getting Jimmy the ball as much as he should be because he's a matchup nightmare like you guys know. Uh, you right. put him on a linebacker, he's faster than the linebacker odds are. And you put him on a corner or a safety, he's probably bigger. So he's a matchup yeah. nightmare. So we were really upset about the fact that he wasn't getting the ball as much as we thought he should. Uh, and then he went down with the injury, uh, and we still made a pretty good push. So in, during the offseason, a lot of people were thinking, well, you know, we did fine without Jimmy, and uh, we're paying him a heck of a lot of money. So – you know, maybe we should cut ties. Well, then he came back this year and had uh, back-to-back 100-yard receiving games, so he kind of showed his use, um, and he's he's been pretty clutch in a few different situations. So I think as long as they can continue getting him the ball, 
when, you know, the, the matchup presents itself, I think 12s will enjoy having Jimmy Graham around. Yeah. I tell you what, in that overtime period the other night, uh, Russ used him almost exclusively right. getting down to that first and goal. Uh, and, you know, if you – I know I don't have to tell you. If you use Jimmy in the correct way, he can mm-hmm. be almost an indefensible part of your offense. And that's the – speaking to that, you know, that's the way that Drew used him in our offense. Well, I would. Oh, I don't think it's out of bounds to say that the uh, the reasons that precipitated Jimmy leaving or or being traded uh, that had more to do with off the field than it ever did with on the field. Right. Well, you know, the big thing I was always surprised about when I watched Seattle play, and I watched a couple games last year. The uh, I watched the Carolina game from last year and I was surprised to see how many times uh, Jimmy came off the field on third down considering that he was a major major force for the Saints on third down he was I I want to say I don't remember the statistic off the top of my head but over 60 percent of the receptions he got were on third down to to Mm -hmm. send drives and I just thought that was 69.7 there we go 69.7 all right So, I mean, you know, you're taking a weapon off the field that that is his that is his down. And we showed that last year in our third down conversion rate that we were not as effective without him. And, uh, you know, we've had to kind of manipulate some things. We uh, we paid a lot of money to Kobe Fleener to try and pick up that third down conversion rate again. And, uh, you know, we talked about Michael Thomas a little bit off the air, too. Michael Thomas is doing a good job picking up that third down role, too. So, I mean, are you seeing him? You said he got a couple hundred-yard gains. We saw a little bit of him uh, in overtime. Are you starting to see him getting integrated more, especially on third down? Or is, you know, are they still kind of don't know what you're going to get on third down? You know, it seems like uh, lately – that uh, the offensive coordinator, coordinator Daryl Bevel, is using him a little bit more like he should be used. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, it's one of those uh, you come into the game, you still don't know what you're going to get. I remember uh, when Jimmy was in New Orleans, you knew you knew when New Orleans was going to use him, and they just dared the other team to try to stop it. Yeah. And most of the time they couldn't do it. Uh, Seattle hasn't used him in that, that way other than uh, overtime in Arizona, you know, where they force fed in the ball. Uh, but we should do that too more often. And I think if, if we keep doing that, that's going to open up guys like Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett and Jermaine Curse. It's going to open up the passing game to other receivers. And so um, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about off the air about uh, Daryl Bevel and how the Seahawks fans feel about him and his play calling. It's just, it seems like it's so obvious what you should do. And then we do something totally unexplainable. It doesn't, doesn't get us any yardage or any closer to, to making a big play. So it's, it's still up in the air. How does the uh, tie affect y'all's race uh, against the Cardinals to win the division? Cause I think you guys, it's really between you and the Cardinals because the Rams and the 49, well, the 49ers are already competing for the first overall pick of the yeah. draft, but yeah. uh, the Rams, you know, they, they're not doing anything this year a- again. Uh, so how do you think that tie is going to affect winning the division? I think it's going to be a, a major setback, and it's going to set both teams in quite the race because if you look at the schedule this year, uh, especially for Seattle, we have to go into Lambeau, and we have to go into Foxborough, play the Packers and the Patriots. Those are two extremely tough games. Yes. Plus, L.A.'s already beat us once this year. We always have a hard time with them, um, and we got to play Arizona again this year. So it's, it's a tough schedule, and I think uh, whoever can come up with um, some of those big wins against tough opponents – between Seattle and Arizona, I think that's going to sway who wins the division or not. I think if Seattle loses to Green Bay and New England and Arizona beats one of them, Arizona's going to take the division. It's going to be that close. Yeah, I think and I was that, 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 that last game between you and Arizona will decide the, the division. Well, and I was also thinking about I was also thinking about seeding because you know Seattle is such a tough, tough place to play, especially in January. You know, with a tie. Uh, you, you, Seattle would, is going to have a hard time, let's just say they win the division, getting that first or second seed 
and um, that that just puts it puts it that much tougher for them to make a road back to the Super Bowl. Um, because well, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, Green Bay doesn't look like the typical Packers we've seen. Minnesota imploded on uh, the Eagles yesterday, uh, Sunday, and um, you know, the NFC East. Yes, they all have winning records, but they really haven't all started to play each other yet. So right. we'll see what happens. Who survives out of that that division? And then y'all have already beaten Atlanta. So Atlanta's yeah. already, uh, you know, one step behind. They're they're looking at maybe, you know, third or fourth seed. So it, 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 even though it's only week seven, we're still kind of looking at the pictures and saying, okay, where are these teams going to be going? You know, in, yeah. in come January. Uh, um, uh, Zachary, how do you uh, how do you see Sunday playing out? What does Seattle have to do to win? You know, it's it's going to be, I think, a more difficult game than some Seahawks fans think it's going to be. You, you never go in, into the Superdome and just roll over the Saints. It doesn't happen. Not not with Drew Brees under center. It's going to be a tough game, and I think it's going to come down to uh, Seattle's offensive line, first of all. Can we block and allow Chris and Michael to run? And can we beat the secondary, who's, who you guys have mentioned, you guys have been hurting with your secondary, and if, if Russell can get some time back in the pocket, um, you know, maybe he'll have a chance to burn that secondary. But uh, it also – got to remember we're playing Drew Brees. And uh, I think that's what Cam and, and Sherman and Earl and Jeremy Lane, all those guys are talking about this week. Um, we got we to get some pressure on Drew Brees. Uh, it, uh, something that you pointed out to me um, during the game the other night, do, do you really expect um, that OC that you were discussing earlier – I'm sorry, the name slips me uh, – do you expect them to try and make Jimmy a focal point of this game Sunday? Yeah, I think uh, not only because Jimmy is healthy and he's been playing big, but I think because just the fact that it is New Orleans and, and he's back playing in New Orleans, I think that he might make that a point for sure, and uh, we may need that. How do you think uh, playing five quarters uh, Sunday night and then turning around traveling to New Orleans is going to affect Seattle? Um, well, it's, it's definitely going to cause some fatigue. There's no doubt about that, especially because they're both road games back-to-back like that. And like I said, five quarters. Um, and the defense spent a lot of time on the field. Yeah. Um, and over that's 90, what makes me yeah. – Over 90 plays. Over 90 plays, they said. And, you know, you're going to have a two-hour time difference. So this game's at noon, not at 3 o'clock our time. So it's 10 o'clock in the morning your time. Right. And it's not going to be easy. And I think um, my biggest worry is, like I said, playing Drew Brees. And is that secondary going to be ready to go? Are they going to be um, recovered enough? Are they going to be fatigued? And, uh, you know, Michael Thomas is beating them down the field or over the top or having a miscommunication like we saw with Atlanta with Julio Jones running free down the sideline. That's something that uh, we can't afford to have, not not a, down in New Orleans. I just hope we don't have to try to kick a field goal, man. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I think uh, field goal defense just makes me me shudder, man. Uh, Bobby yeah, Wagner. yeah, <laughs> uh, that that leapfrog. Uh, well, I saw Kim Chancellor do it twice yeah. against Carolina in the playoffs. In and, uh, one game, you know that. Yeah, uh, and that's just an amazing thing that you got players who can do that. Uh, I would almost tell my center, look, as soon as you snap that ball, stand up. Right. <laughs> you might get kicked in the head. But we'll take the flag and we'll just keep going. <laughs> but get the you know, field goal. We'll get right. We'll give you a breather. We'll get fifty. We'll get uh, the the penalty. Yeah, you've got it. You've got it. As soon as you snap that ball, stand up. Long snapper. That's your job. Yeah. <laughs> it might be a good play. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, it's that that they're the only team that does that. I have to give them a lot of credit. I mean, guys that get running starts and just leapfrog. Uh, you know, a guy that's. These aren't little players. You know, this isn't like leapfrogging right. <laughs> something about my wife's only five feet tall. You know, this you, is over a six-foot, you, you know, two, six-foot-three guy. Right. Zachary, Zachary and I have discussed uh, before my sheer and utter distaste for Pete Carroll. But now I will give, give you this. Uh, Pete Carroll is an excellent coach. He's top-notch. Uh, you can look at his – his uh, his record it speaks for itself. 
Uh, he's very successful. And more than that, you have guys that want to play for this man. And they love to play for this man. And uh, aside from that, you see stuff like what we just were joking about. But in all seriousness, other teams never thought to do stuff like that. Pete Carroll has these guys playing on the same level as college teams, you know. And that's something that's missing from this game and so big a respect in, uh, in the rest of the league, I think. Well, and I also think that it has a lot to do with the with the core guys that have been there since Pete got there. The the Cam Chancellors, your Earl Thomas is your uh, Richard Sherman's, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. That defensive side of the ball, that core group of players have been with each other for years, and I think that really helps uh, when you see some plays like that. Guys going out and making big time plays on their own. It's because they know exactly where all the other guys are going to be. Yeah, and it allows them that freedom, and they enjoy playing under Pete Carroll. It's a different type of atmosphere there than than we've ever had before. Definitely not the same as it was under like uh, uh, Mike Holmgren or somebody like that. It's it's different. It's fun. Well, it's it's Mark. definitely a college. It's a definitely a college uh, atmosphere over there. I mean, you know, we joked about the twelfth man and the Aggies, but you know, it, it, that whole thing with the twelfth man. With, you know, when they showed them on the sidelines and they're rocking back and forth as one unit. I mean, you know don't do that anymore it's like that's that's they look at that i guess i don't know if it's high school harry or what but you know they feed off that energy and you can see that in the way that seattle plays they play very aggressively but very disciplined and uh it you know that's a credit to p carroll he and he is very much the high school you know i could see him in a letterman sweater holding a (laughs) megaphone the way he goes up and down that field you know, clapping yeah. <laughs> and, you know, controlling and, and getting, the, you know, and, you know, coat and tie. It's kind of refreshing yeah. to see a coach like that. It sure is because, I mean, it makes the human element, if this makes any sense, it makes the human element that was such a part of our generation's uh, sports it makes that a part of the game now, whereas it never was so much before. Yeah, it's it's definitely fun to to watch, and I don't uh, I don't think I know any Seahawks fan that doesn't like Pete Carroll. We all like Pete, and I think it has a lot to do with you know he he brought us our first championship and he got us to another Super Bowl. So um, that's definitely going to endear you to your fans, that's for sure. Well, okay, Zach absolutely. Zachary, we appreciate you being with us tonight, man. Um, Tell everybody how they can follow your work. Uh, you can go to profootballspot.com, and you can find me on Facebook, and I'll have links to whatever articles or anything I'm on or a uh, link to the show also. All right, and how about Twitter? Can we follow you on Twitter? I do not have a Twitter at the moment, so I will have to get that going. But Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. How old are you, <laughs> and you don't have a Twitter account? Hey, I work full-time, man. I got time for uh. Twitter. <laughs> that, hey, I'm the same way. I'm on I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and that's it. I'm not on anything else. Uh, on, I'll look you know, into I, it, boys. <laughs> well, thank you again, Zach. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Thank take you so care. much for Alrighty. being with us tonight, Zach. Uh, wish you guys the best of luck Sunday. Just not too much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see you in New Orleans, guys. There you go. Thank you, man. Take care, Zach. Later, guys. All right, uh, that Fantastic. was good. That was good. We, Fantastic. Now we we man. yeah we we've kissed uh, Seattle's butt enough today. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll ticks me now off. We can, too. Yeah, Pete Carroll does. Now tick we can me really off. talk about yeah. how we feel about the Seahawks. There you go. Nah, there you go. Uh, yeah, like I, I told him off re- camera before we got started. Um, I you know I, I'm not a Seahawks fan, but I have empathy for the Seahawks uh, because sure. they're a small market team. Up in the country, and they pretty much are forgotten about. Uh, you know, like I told him off camera, you know, you'd be lucky the average NFL fan can maybe name three Seahawks not currently playing on the team. And, you know, most people don't even, the league doesn't even pay attention to them unless they're winning. Um, you know, like you and I forgot that Jim Moore was even the head coach over there for a while. Um, <laughs> Briefly. You know, and, yeah, briefly, <laughs> one season. You know, we know about Holmgren because he was, you know, the Packers coach. He went to the Super Bowl. But, you know, who was the coach before Holmgren? We don't know. You know, he just, um, how, many, how many Seattle games? 
Yeah, I know Chuck Knox was the coach in the 80s, and that's about it. Um, Chuck Fairbanks? Mm, I think he was a Buffalo. I don't, I don't remember, I honestly. He may have, may have finished his career in Seattle. Oh, no, Dennis Erickson. How could I forget? Dennis Erickson and the mystery uh, yeah. the mystery touchdown that Vinny Testaverde was short, but they gave him the touchdown yeah. anyway. Left yeah, and he Miami lost his job over this. that. Left Miami to go yeah. to Seattle. Dennis Erickson. I forgot about it, yeah. But, um, you know yeah, how I mean, hard it is to do you know how hard it is to prepare to do a show with you? Because your knowledge is no show prep. I have no show prep. <laughs> okay, now you. This is all off the reading. cuff. This is all off the cuff. Believe me. No, I got my iPad sitting right here, and every so often I'll Google stuff and just look up things like the coaching staff of the Seahawks. You know, but no, yeah, I, I mean, Seattle's I, a small market team that gets forget forgotten about by the NFL. So you know, they're like us in, in that regard. Like I said, I, I, I truly um, – and I will freely admit to you that my feelings towards Pete Carroll are almost <laughs> exclusively um, because of what went down at USC. I think that uh, he absolutely raped that program for his own personal gain and left it in shambles and took the money and ran. Uh, now, time heals all wounds, and, and – uh, you know, I, I hate to see things like that because, um, you know, people aren't too off old farts like us. Um, it's, it's very distasteful for people like us and from our generation when you see people that are not being held accountable for the actions that they take. Because in our generation, it was a uh, standard operating procedure, which if you do this, if you make bad decisions, you pay the consequences. You make good decisions, you reap the benefits. That's the way that uh, I would venture to say you as well as I, having come up at about the same time, um, I would venture to say that that's the way both of us were raised, correct? Yeah, you know, uh, it was a win at any cost at USC. That's what they did. And, you know, unfortunately, that happens a lot in college football. Miami had the same problem. And that's sure. why Pete Carroll did what he did. Uh, they didn't care because they were winning. And uh, they were willing to look the other way when it came to Reggie Bush and, you know, the aid they gave his family. You know, you have a lot of rich alumni who wanted to get the title at any cost. And unfortunately... Yeah. That's that's what college football has become. It, it, it is a I'm not saying all college programs are like that, but because obviously they're not. But you see this now with, you know, the push for a playoff system, with uh, the push for, you know, so much when we had the old BCS system, so much is based on scheduling and, you know, you have to play certain opponents that are worth points and all the other things. And you don't. uh it's now it's more about winning that national championship than it is about producing good quality young men who get a degree and graduate and become productive citizens, you know? Well, you said it, and you uh, said a mouthful earlier uh, a few minutes ago when you said win at all costs, it's become such a, and I don't mean this strictly on the college level. I mean, this trickles down to, Nowadays, even to the middle school level, it has become such a money-making oh, yeah. proposition that the win-at-all-cost mentality trickles down to the to the very lowest level. My daughter was a, my daughter was a high school um, my daughter was a high school athlete. She played basketball, uh, you know, girls basketball. But you know, when you look at uh, high school sports now, you are starting to see high school programs televised now you're starting to see much more yeah. commercialization of the high school athletes um you know aau programs in basketball for boys and girls it's all about pushing a kid who is 13 12 15 years old pushing them into major college program this is going to be your life and you're going to have all these scouts and recruits looking at you and you're going to have all this going on you know and these, these kids it's no longer about the education it's about the program and about winning 
Um, one of Allison's good friends plays for LSU. Um, really good basketball player. One of Allison's other good friends is uh, she's a highly sought after recruit at Ursuline. Um, you know, the mother finally had to say, look, we need a break. This is too much. Um, you know, y'all are trying to visit my daughter every night. And she, you know, she has school. She has to, she has to graduate high school yeah. still. So, you know, that, that's, that, that is what sports has become today. And um, yeah, because if, if, you know, if people find out that there's a way to, for them to capitalize on it and to make money off of anything that they do, obviously they're going to exploit that to its fullest extent. Right. And you see, you know, you've and got I a think lot that's of tragic. Right. And you've got a lot of kids who have no chance of ever going to a school like a USC or an LSU or Baylor or UConn or, you know, any of these schools, they would never have a chance normally because the tuition is so high. Um, now I have an opportunity because they can, put a ball in a hoop, they can throw a football, they can tackle, they can hit a baseball, whatever. And um, so, you know, it's prime now. example of that. Prime example of that. Cecil Collins from. Lee yeah. Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Cecil the diesel. Absolutely. You know, and yeah. uh, so, it, it, you know, you want these kids to get the opportunity, but at the same time, you've got to realize that these are just kids and you're turning college into a pro farm league almost. And yeah. everyone's making money on it, uh, including the schools, but the kids, uh, yeah. you know, that's a whole separate topic altogether. But, you know, when you and I were kids, uh, college football was never televised on you know, on Saturday, you may got to see two games, three at most. Yeah. Uh, well, college football. You know, in all fairness, when when you and I were that age, uh, it was hard to see college football when you only got three channels, right? <laughs> no, but uh, you know, you're you're right. But I mean, still, the NFL was on Sunday. Uh, you got to see lived three out games in, on Sunday. I lived way out in the country. I don't know about how it was in River Ridge, but in Crowville, Louisiana. If the yeah, back back right. before indoor plumbing, I got you. No, we had indoor plumbing, and we only had to go yeah. one way through knee deep snow. There you go, uphill to school. The Sears <laughs> robot catalog with the toilet paper. I got you. Um, no, right. no, no. We had <laughs> Sears. We had to save Sears for uh, Christmas. We used Kmart. There you go. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the, you know the game in in our head, and then um, kind of we'll go to the questions after that. Well, I mean, I, I thought you know uh, uh, what you call it. Um, I can't think of his name right now. That Nick uh, Nick Underhill had a great breakdown on film today, and he was dead on right. You know, we had trouble with the edge, and sure. he let a lot of a lot of running plays and plays to the outs side beat us uh, Sunday, especially in that second quarter. Uh, I thought that was probably our worst quarter we played since the Atlanta game. Um, we sort of turned it around a little bit in the second half, but we never really ever got back into that game, especially once Ingram fumbled. And yeah. I really blame, I, you know, it's hard, but you got to blame Ingram because you got to know in that situation uh, hold the ball up against your body or put both hands yeah. on the ball. Don't hang it. Don't let it hang down so easily where it can get punched out because that was probably the, there was one point in the first half, the momentum shifted with the interception, the pick six, but that was really the end of the game. And got the ball punched out. Cause even though we scored late, um, and then we had the third and seventeen conversion in the uh, in the, the fairly play, but uh, that that changed the way the game was going to get played for the rest of the rest of the ball game because sure. uh, you you just can't afford you can't turn the ball over twice at Arrowhead. They were like plus eleven, I think, going into that game. The Kansas City Chiefs at yeah. home, and now they're plus thirteen. You know, between that and the crowd noise gave us the false starts and the two delay game penalties. Um, you know, you just can't, well, you, you can't do those things. Well, you know, I, I said, if you recall, 
and I said this several times Sunday morning in different chat groups, the margin for error going into the Kansas City game was going to be so, so, so small. We almost couldn't afford to make any mistakes whatsoever, and we were going to have to play to a certain extent, we were going to have to play a little bit over our heads at a at a at a real high level to be able to pull that that went off. And you know, as far as the uh, the the margin for error, we blew that early in the second quarter with the false starts, with the uh, the pick six. You know, um, but still, even even all of that being said. And all of everything, um, the fact that we were only six points down in that game. Uh, now, true, I, I do believe, as you said, there was there was two deal breakers in that game. One of which being the uh, the Mark Ingram fumble, and the other being uh, not necessarily for what it was nearly so much as the fact of when it was the fairly penalty. Because I agree with the point that you made on in one of those chat groups on Sunday that what happened wasn't so egregious as to to be that big a, a, a deal. But you know, when it happened, I mean, it was called, and, and that is what it is. It it fit the way it fit the way that game was being called. Uh, I felt like the Saints really were getting. Anything that they did wrong, they got flagged for. Um, yeah. You know, some games, you know, the officials kind of let you play a little bit. And I thought the fairly play was more of a continuing action than it was just picking up and body yeah. slamming Spencer Ware. Uh, I thought he kind of rolled him to the side. He was already engaged. Uh, he didn't just go seek him out. Way, well away from the play. And some people may disagree with this, but that's how I felt, and I still feel that way. But it's a dumb play that will get you flagged most yeah. of the time, and it fit the way it was be, the game was being called. Um, a lot of people and, had – well, I was going to say one other thing. A lot of people had issues with the challenges. Uh, they thought Sean Payton wasted his timeouts with challenges. I don't have I a do. problem – I don't have a problem with the plays that were being challenged. They were close enough and they deserved another look. And what when they happened were thirties that maybe you can get that reversed and then you get in the, you get off the field. It wasn't like it was a first down play or anything like that. And they were close enough to the sideline. And I thought the first one, Spencer Ware scores the next play. I thought the first one you challenged, that was a good challenge. I thought they were going to overturn that. I I agree. The only one that I had an issue with was the second one. And there again, uh, like what I said about the Fairley penalty, I feel that my issue with it has more to do with when it was than necessarily what it was. Yeah. Well, it's third and seventeen. You know, they picked up the first down on that play. It was close enough that you could kind of, you know, like I said, I it probably, it, in retrospect, it wasn't a good challenge. You could have used that timeout. But I understand the thinking process behind it. You're trying, you're hoping to catch a break. The official overturned the call, you know, and you can get the ball back you know, instead of them getting that first down. Oh, so, you know, I understand the mindset behind making that challenge. I understand it. I, I just think, of course, you know, uh, there too, in all fairness to Sean Payton, it's easy for us to sit here in retrospect with sure. having having the knowledge that the, the challenge failed. He lost the timeout. You know, we lose the game, so on and so forth. It's easy for us to sit here in judgment of that. And that's really not, not necessarily what I'm interested in doing. Um, I did have issue with uh, the second challenge. Um, but that being said, um, to be completely honest with you, I feel like we played maybe one of the top three teams in the AFC right now in terms of 
being a complete team, uh, being in a in a time and in a place that they will be able to challenge for uh, playoff contention in the AFC. I think the Chiefs rank right up there. Uh, probably just as equal with the Patriots as anyone else. Well, the Chiefs are always their worst enemy. Um, they play one way at home, they play another way on the road, and then in the uh, playoffs, they always seem to come up short for whatever reason. Playing Kansas City in Kansas City, that's a that's a tough venue. Um, we've already said that. Um, and like you said, they had a, almost a flawless game. Uh, and you turn them all over twice and make error penalties that took away, uh, that stalled some drives. Um, yeah, so, you know, you can't afford to do that kind of stuff. And and that's really what cost you the game. You didn't get beat so much as you beat yourself. And that's hard. And that's why Saints fans are particularly frustrated this week as opposed to, you know, previous weeks. Um, it's hard when you watch your team make mistakes that cost them the game. Um, and Sean yeah. Payton said in a press conference, we're not good enough right now to overcome those mistakes. With the injuries we have, with the limitations that we have on defense, we cannot play less than a perfect game right now. Um, but the good news is, Bro did some work this week, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, you know, he seems to be on schedule to come back. Don't know exactly when. Bro, and not Bro, uh, Rankin's practice this week. Um, or we will practice this week. We'll see that. So he is probably on schedule to come back, maybe for the Denver game, more likely the 49ers game. Um, do I have those reversed? Is it, the, is it the 49ers game next week in Denver the following week? I may have those reversed. Anyway. You know, you got them right. You got them right. Okay. Okay. But uh, 49, you know, 49ers, yeah. Seattle at home, 49ers on the road. And That's Denver right. It is because it's Denver at home on Sunday night. Then you go and play uh, Carolina at Carolina on a Thursday night in the brilliant yeah. scheduling that was done. Um, but, yeah. So <laughs> we're going to get through – this game and the Denver game really are our next two tough, tough games. Then we kind of get back into very beatable teams, teams that we match up pretty well, excuse me, pretty well with. Uh, you know, you got the Rams who always seem to give us trouble, but you've got the Lions, the Bucks twice, Carolina, uh, and Atlanta to wrap up the season. So, you know, something could happen where we could kind of turn around a little bit and, and do something. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time you talk about Atlanta, I just have this flashback to Megatron's butthole. Oh, well, that stadium's hideous. <laughs> that stadium is hideous, and that, that thing does look like a giant butthole. Um, well, anyway. Well, you know, Sunday during the game when uh, Spencer Ware made that first touchdown mm -hmm. and Bird did his Spanish ole as he normally no. does, I came up with a hashtag, well, I I'm not going to say on air what my hashtag was, but it was <laughs> – uh, something similar, uh, a four-letter word which begins with S. It was bird droppings. Bird crap, yeah, and, bird droppings, bird crap, yeah. Uh, well, you know. As you will, as you will see from the title of our show tonight, uh, I've changed that hashtag to bird crap. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the, the, unfortunately – this, this is our last year with Jerry's Bird. We can cut him next year, and the, the cap isn't that bad. Um, you know, we have to sit through this a little bit longer. Uh, Von Bell is kind of getting more and more reps. Um, we're seeing him a little bit more. But, you know, Bird doesn't do anything out there for you. He uh, he doesn't no. tackle, and he doesn't, he doesn't intercept or force turnover. So he's really, you're playing with 10 men basically out there. He takes bad angles to well, the ball. It's just, you didn't bring him in horrible. to make tackles. You brought him in to create turnovers and he hasn't done that. He's had, no. he's, he's been here for three seasons and he's played for part of two and he's generated one turnover. Um, cut your losses. Of course, like you say, uh, this will be the last season. I feel I agree with you on that. I feel like he he'll be gone at the end of this season. Um, 
it is what it is. Uh, it's just one of those things that we're going to have to find a way to to uh, manage our way through. Um, let me ask you this, and this mm-hmm. uh, this kind of feeds off, and I'll ask you for a brief uh, answer to this question. It's our question of the week. I forget exactly who it's from. Somebody in, in the uh, the Hudak group there that we uh, were a part of. They wanted to know your take on, um, I believe it was Chris Van. Uh, they wanted to know your your pros and cons on the whole thing that seems to be the hot button topic today. Uh, create, uh, trying to shop Mark Ingram for a trade. What do you think? Well, you know Ingram. I think uh, the cap hit would be if you got rid of him is uh, over four point two million, something like that. So it's not that it's not that bad. You could you could trade him, but what are you going to trade him for? You know, you're going to trade him for a fourth round pick. I mean, that's about what he's worth. You know, if somebody wants to take him on his cap, his salary isn't that unfriendly. And um, I mean, you have to have a plan then. What are you going to do from there? Um, You know, the problem with Ingram, and we saw this, we've seen this all five years he's been here. Uh, The problem with Ingram is he blows a runner. He struggles with short yardage plays. For a guy who's supposed to be a power back, he struggles with short yardage. Um, That's one of the reasons why fullbacks have gotten those quick hitters as much as I have. You know, John Kuhn's doing it now. Uh, Before that was Jed Collins. Uh, You know, you see a lot of that kind of stuff. We had the jet sweep to the tight end because Ingram, for whatever reason, runs too high. Takes it, it's too long to take him to get through the hole. I don't know what it is. And Bobby Abrams was talking about this today. The screen pass is now completely gone from our our uh, playbook. We cannot run a screen anymore. And I don't know if it's the offensive no. line or if it's um, nobody. We'll never have anyone to run that screen pass the way Pierre did, though. No, and Pierre set it up well, but yeah, you know, it, it's so many things that go into that. You know, it's time. Oh, yeah, it's, sure. The line has to pull. You know, as good as Unger is, Unger is a terrible pulling player. He's slow pulling out. He's a great blocker, and people just don't see it. But when they try to run something where he's got to pull it like in a trap or run out in the screen, it takes him a long time to get there. So it's got to be the guards pulling for these screen passes, and you just don't see it. Now, we get the bubble screens and stuff going, but you just don't have that that effective screen pass anymore. And um, I don't know what it is. And I know the thinking behind getting rid of Ingram is uh, making, clearing the way to bring in Leonard Fournette. Um, A lot of people want the Saints to tank this year and bring in Fournette because what you see him do against Ole Miss, um, what you've seen him do against Syracuse and, you know, all the teams he's played these past couple of years. He's a violent runner. He's an explosive back. My feelings about Fournette are if he's available, great. I don't want him going to some team like Carolina or Tampa. I don't want to face him twice a year. I'd rather see him in Baltimore or, you know, Cleveland or somewhere in the AFC where I don't look at him. Every, uh, I, every personally, season. I, personally, I'm pulling for Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm afraid he's too good for that. But I'll be I've honest never with seen, you. I've never seen Calgary on the Saints schedule. Uh, no. But I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, running backs being – Ezekiel Elliott aside, running backs being drafted highly in the uh, in the draft is kind of a thing of the past. Um, that doesn't yeah. mean I don't think – Fournette won't be a top ten pick, but he won't be the number one overall pick. I I, I feel like if um, if he's if there's not some mitigating circumstance such as an injury or something, uh, if you're not in the top three picks in the draft, you're not in the market for Fournette. Right, Jacksonville could and, possibly grab him. You know, I, I've uh, I've made it very I've been very vocal about my opinions on Fournette coming to New Orleans, and I I 
I have said before that I think that that would be the worst idea of bad ideas. That's not that's not a knock at all on Fournette. It's just the fact that this is not now, nor will it ever be under Sean Payton, a running football team. And if you're not a running football team, you're not making full use of the skill set that Leonard Fournette brings to the table. And there's a there's a percentage of Saints there's a percentage of Saints fans who are ready for Sean Payton to go too. Uh, they well, want to yeah. blow up. They want to blow up this team and rebuild it. In the the latest du jour is the uh, uh, you know a powerful defense, ball control offense built on running, um, and great special teams, which is what we saw under Jim Mora. Um, which which is basically hand grenading everything that you've been working to build for the past decade. No, and, you know, uh, I, I'm see I see I see the, the subtle hints that people want Breeze to go, which is insane, but that's beside the point. Um they they're ready for they think that yeah the records are great but we're losing. You know this is the this is what yeah. it's the Miami Dolphin syndrome. You know yeah, Dan Marino is great, but, you know, the problem we have is because we've got Dan Marino, we can never get a good defense. We can never get a good running game. Now look at Miami since Marino has been gone. How many sure. quarterbacks have they gone through? Uh, how many winning seasons have they gone through? How many coaches have they gone through? Um, you know, it's – you don't – I think a lot of people won't realize how special Breeze and was – until he's gone. And we're going to be talking about Drew Brees the same way they talk about the Dome Patrol, where they, you know, it's like, oh, my God, can you imagine this defense would be like with Drew Brees? Or can you imagine this running back would be like we had Drew Brees? You know, what this team could do if we just had Drew Brees. We could could actually have a winning season. You know, and and that's – that's. I completely agree with that. I've said – There was – for years now that the full measure of the appreciation of Drew Brees will never come until he's standing on that platform in Canton making that acceptance speech. Hey, well, I'm going to be there. You know, my wife and I already planned that trip. Five years from the day he retires, we are making the reservations for Canton because I'm going to be there. Because aside from the fact that uh, I want to go to Canton, I want to go to, oh, and wow. she'll, she'll want to watch Drew Brees get accepted. So, yeah, hey, we that, that to, gun- uh, We need to hit up C three Productions and Fan First Productions. Uh, there you that go. Needs a, that needs to be a business trip. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, there's two on the bucket to, uh, list. Uh, I'll have two to, of them, uh, talk to Joey and Tony on that. Two of my three things on my bucket list. Uh, you know, Canton, Ohio, going to see a Saints game in Green Bay in December. Uh, in Lambeau Field, uh, and finding my way and locking myself in the NFL Films vault and just going to town looking at NFL Films stuff. I mean, I won't appear for years because I'll just be looking at all that stuff. <laughs> I believe uh, it. I believe I mean, Ulrich is not really your name. I, th- I think maybe somewhere down along the line that your name of Sable was changed. You think oh, maybe- that that is my dream job. That is my <laughs> dream job. I, I I don't have the voice to be the announcer for the games. I would just love to just do write for NFL films and edit NFL films. And you know, they keep saying that they keep saying that ne- he never said that. John Fassenden never said that. But I could swear there is a video called Legends of the Fall, and it he says it. When Jethro he does kicking the turf, uh, when he's kicking the turf to get footed in that in that ice bowl, and the the phrase, if I remember right, was Jethro uh, Pugh tries to get tries to get his footing in the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, and and I know he said it, and I'm almost positive that's the video. It's called Legends of the Fall, and I want to see it. If it's uh, 
if it's available because that's 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 the that's the one. It's all about Title Town USA. But um, well, I hope that's not the name he used because that was the name that I used on that series of articles <laughs> that I wrote about the Saints. Man. Well, I've got I've got a lot of um, old NFL film stuff on VHS tape when ESPN used to show it after after uh, NFL primetime back in the late eighties or early nineties. You're going to have to make those available on uh, on DVDs. Uh, I have to convert those things. I really do. I have to convert. You really them. do. They're, they're and when you do make yeah. copies, yeah, they, they are something. Do you have? Uh, I do you love have an extra, NFL. I do too. Do you? Do you have an extra point tonight? Um, well, we kind of talked a little bit about it with college football. Um, you know. I was going to talk a little bit about the ratings issue with the NFL and this game that we had Sunday, uh, the NFL with their extra, with their ratings are down this year. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons why is we're kind of saturated with football and the quality of football is not nearly as good as it has been in the past. Um, we have football now on Thursday nights on Sunday, Sunday night and Monday night, you know, the games just are not very good. Uh, that game that we had last night with between the Texans and the uh, and the uh, Denver Broncos was just not a very good game, and there really hasn't been any great games on national television. Um, and I think that all plays a part of it. And so I think that the league needs to look at pulling back a little bit, getting off a of Thursday night. Going back on Sunday, you know, and then you have Sunday night where you have more marquee matchups. Maybe you have flex scheduling all year long where you kind of flex out of good matchup games into one that's on Sunday night. Like the, the, that Atlanta-Seattle game would have been a great game to flex into, you know, Sunday night um, instead of the game that we got, which I think was the Packers and the Bears. I don't – I'm not sure. But anyway, yes. you know. Yeah, you, you, you get a lot of bad games on national TV right now, and that all plays a part in, in, in the poor ratings. Yes, I know the protests and, and, and you know, people um, are boycotting it, but I really feel like it's really just bad football. We don't have a balanced, balanced teams anymore. You have teams that are really good on offense, are really good on defense. Very few teams have good combinations anymore and I think that's why you have so many teams that are going to be 7-9, in that area um, so they don't lend themselves to having good matchup games you know on television well my, my take on that is uh, close to what you said uh, I don't think that by and large most of the viewing audience is like you and I uh, you know if they want to watch football, they're going to watch football, and it doesn't matter if it's Jacksonville or New England. Uh, and, and to a certain extent, that's the way I am. Um, I sat, I sat through that entire five quarters of that game uh, Sunday night, um, partially because I'm a football fan, but partially. Well, let me hang on a second, Sean. Let me ask you this: Did you get up at seven o'clock or six o'clock this morning, uh, six o'clock Sunday morning, and watch the Giants play the Rams in London? No, I don't have NFL Network. Oh, okay, that's true. It was on NFL Network. Okay, well, there's another example. You know, who's going to watch the Giants and the Rams? NFL Network, which most people don't have. So, you know, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, keep going with your. With, I, I, I'm one of those people that you know, if it's on. I, I'm generally going to watch it unless it just absolutely, absolutely puts me to sleep and I wake up and there's an infomercial on. Um, of course, you know, it, it's hard for me to get into it to the same extent if it's not New Orleans because I don't have a vested interest in it. But it's still football. Um, as far as um, my extra point, um I, I will submit to you for this week because uh, I did one last week and and you didn't get to do yours. So, uh, and I know we're we're sort of pressed for time. I want to um, I want to thank Zachary Vetch for joining us tonight from the Twelfth Man in Seattle. Um, 
you guys support him in every way that you can. He's a great, great young man, and uh, I'm always in favor of supporting our American veterans, especially when they're doing this sort of thing. Uh, we want to thank Fan First Productions for sponsoring our program. It, uh, if you guys are of such a mind, they also sponsor the Carolina Cat Chronicles, the C3 podcast that will be going on air uh, nine minutes ago. Oh, nine minutes ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, and there also, you go. And, and also tomorrow night at nine o'clock on Wednesday nights at nine o'clock Central Time. They also do the Southbound and Down podcast, which covers the entire NFC South uh, division. We want to thank you guys uh, because without you, there's no us. Uh, we thank you for your continued support. You guys reach out to us. Uh, under the dome podcast at gmail.com if you need to uh also on our on our facebook page uh under the dome podcast uh twitter under the dome po1 uh let us know what it is that you'd like to see uh how we can make this show more enjoyable and more entertaining for you guys absolutely absolutely follow us on twitter and uh please send us some questions questions um we'll try and answer as many of them as we can i know somebody asked about lutz um but you know given the kickers this weekend uh it's not just lutz that's got problems um we saw a lot of missed kicks this weekend a lot of missed extra points um so yeah please give us any uh, any questions that you have anything you want us to talk about what you like about the show what you don't like about the show do i ramble too much <laughs> all that stuff so um but Thank you guys for enjoying uh, for joining us on the show. We enjoy having you guys. We enjoy talking about Saints football. Um, we love the feedback. Um, again, follow us, and you'll see us next week when we talk about the. Uh, we'll do the post mortem on the uh, Saints Seattle game, and we look forward to the 49ers game, which is another revenge game. And we should be in good shape to uh, finish those guys off because we got a lot of guys coming back from being injured. So, people anyway, of, people of the South, do not forget that. Okay, for you guys that are not in the know, that's a uh, Game of Thrones reference. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, I did not know that. Okay, I did not know that. I have All really right. gotten into Thank the Game guys. of Thrones, man. Uh, I, I just have not found a show that I really can, can hook me since Mad Men. So, but, um, all right, guys, thank y'all for joining us and, uh, we'll try and stay more on schedule next time. Good night, everybody. Thank you guys. And good night.